Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. We're recording this on Wednesday evening on the 15th of July. So this is 24 hours after we picked up a draw, which has, is, is by comparison much, much better than the results that we have had lately. Let me introduce who is here. So first up, we have with us uh, Paul Finney, newly haircutted Paul Finney. You're on mute. Fabulous. That's exactly how <laughs> we like Do you know what? This joke isn't funny anymore, as a song once said. Yes, I'm very well. I like yourself, David. I've had a lovely haircut. Thank you. Oh, I'm David. Yes, I didn't introduce myself. We also have with us Chris Charles. Hello. Beauty Sport. Hi, Chris. You're well? Yeah, I, I had the haircut about six weeks ago with clippers, and it's now growing back to um, uh, Afro, basically. So I will have to have one done again soon. Allow a professional into your life. Um, and also Clive is here. Clive Whittingham from Loft for Words. Hello, mate. You're right. Very good. And and who is wasn't going to be here, but we made her come on for a short while. And I'll explain why in, uh, in a second is Flo. Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi, Flo. Hello, hello. Hello. Well, we, we will go. <laughs> Finney, for some reason, is picking his nose on the Zoom, which is hilarious for him and no one else. Um, so Flo is... You are. We appreciate you are. You've got some work deadlines tonight, and so you are going to tap out this week. However, we thought you should come on because you were at the game last night uh, in a journalistic capacity and in a very sort of strange situation for everyone and uh, unprecedented and all that stuff. So we wanted to kind of have a quick chat with you before we allow you to leave us. So tell us, tell us what it was like last night, actually seeing QPR and being one of the few people that have seen us in the flesh since March? It was just as weird as you would imagine. Um, I was expect- I was actually quite nervous about it um, because I haven't been out much since lockdown was lifted. I haven't really seen that many people. Um, so it was the first time being around more than like three people, basically. So that was kind of a weird experience. Um, and yeah, they had, you know, there's all the guidelines. So you arrive at the ground, then um, you have to have your temperature taken. Um, you have to fill out a questionnaire um, on the day to basically confirm that you haven't had any COVID symptoms or you haven't had COVID or you haven't been outside the UK since 23rd of March. So you fill that in before you arrive. Um, and then they take your temperature when you get there. You have to wear a mask the whole time. And then if you're doing broadcast or TV or radio, you can take it off temporarily. Um, Everyone's really spaced out. And luckily, I'd bought an extra long um, Ethernet cable because um, I was meant to be plugged in somewhere, which was literally like five meters away from me. So I'd luckily prepared, bought that on Amazon um, because, yeah, you're you're, you're pretty far away from each other, which is which is good. but yeah, the whole experience was just really strange. You can't get there that early. So everything's a little bit rushed and stressful because they really want to minimize the amount of people going in the ground. So you can only really get there like an hour-ish before kickoff. And so by the time you get there, you get set up. It's like basically kickoff. Um, so, usually, and- so usually if you're a journalist, right, correct me if I'm wrong, there's kind of a media room. You, you 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 get to mix with other journalists. I think you, you get looked after, don't you, with a bit of food and drink, and then you've got you watch the game, and of course you then have all the press conferences and all 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 the rest of it and all the access. How much of that was still there? Uh, you could get a bottle of water, and that was about it. <laughs> I'm used to not having food and drink because I work in women's football, so you'd be lucky if you get a biscuit in women's football. Um, but normally at, at Loftus Road, you would get a pie. Um, so obviously missing that. I'm not sure about Kenilworth Road. Um, but yeah, there was none of that. Um, and all the post-match press conference. So obviously at Loftus Road radio, we would normally go right in the tunnel, like obviously with the players, which is a hygiene nightmare. Um, and in this case at Kenilworth Road, the, the, the teams weren't in the dugouts because they're so small. So they were both sitting in the stands in front of the press and then QPR were coming. I kind of walked past 
the makeshift change room that they created. And it was basically just some plywood um, that they'd stuck and created like a square in the middle of the main stand. And they turned uh, some toilets basically into a temporary showers. And I could hear them showering as I was leaving, like having a chat through wood, probably about that thick. Oh, you can't see because we're, we're a podcast, but I'm talking about two inches. It was very strange. And yeah, I could just hear them on the other side of the door. And I was thinking, this is QPR. That's QPR. So that was the away one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and itself, how much more can you hear and learn of the players when you're playing in a sort of empty ground? Oh, you can hear everything. Um, and that was something that Warburton talked about last night. And I think he's mentioned it before since we came back, but he was talking about the fact that he's getting frustrated because at the moment, without the crowd, basically, you know, coaches and, and players will claim for anything um, because whoever screams the loudest is going to get the referee's decision. Much like if you were playing at home, your fans would play that role. But now he's basically saying it's every man for himself um, and some coaches, but he wouldn't name any names, are claiming, you know, a goal kick when it should be a corner or vice versa and it's getting ridiculous and he's just getting a bit annoyed about it. Um, so, yeah, you can... I mean, we, Gareth Ainsworth talked about playing that into his advantage during the playoffs because he got the he got the, his squad and his coaching staff to make loads of noise and become almost like fans. Um, but we obviously haven't really seen much of that um, in QPR's games. It's more just... You can hear every single word of frustration at the fourth official, which you would normally see in obviously like massive hand gestures and, and you know, conversations close to close, face to face. But you can you can hear every single word they're saying about whatever decision. Um, and it is actually an interesting insight because we all know that managers have conversations with the officials all game. But it's an interesting insight to seeing how, what sort of things they say and the influence they obviously try and and have over the officials and that dialogue. And it, it does make it clear as well how difficult the officials' job is, trying to manage that relationship with the managers, keep them happy as well as the players. It's a bit of a minefield and you get to witness that firsthand, this kind of screaming um, and intensity of it. Who's a really loud QPR person, either player or coach, that you did not realise before last night? Well, I knew Joe Lumley was loud and he was loud still last night. Um, he was the only one. So when they gathered about to kick off, you could just hear him screaming from his goal, like, come on, like, be the first to the ball, blah, blah, blah. And it was just silent everywhere else. So you could just hear him screaming his head off. Um, it, you know, everyone else was pretty quiet, to be honest. Um you know, there were lots of challenge. Like the Luton, Luton staff and team were much louder than QPR, and they, a few directors are allowed to come. So the Luton, there was a couple of Luton directors who were really vocal, and QPR's staff that had come and directors and staff. Les Fanner was there. Chris Ramsey were there. We're all pretty quiet. Um, so I mean, Luton were trying to create that home atmosphere, and you know their championship status is on the line. So it was important that they try and create a bit of atmosphere and a bit of home advantage. But um, yeah, it was, it was very, very strange. And as, as I was leaving, I could hear Mark Warburton's Zoom press conference just like bellowing out of laptops all around me. I'd already done my kind of interview at a distance on my phone for radio, but there was just laptops open with his voice like echoing around the empty stadium. It was, it was bizarre. And I doubt I'll do many games obviously I haven't got many left um this season and who knows what next season's going to look like but yeah just a bizarre experience and just can't really compare it to anything else um Flo, hello um what was um what was Warburton like you mentioned the players you know I, to be honest it doesn't surprise me that and no one apart from Lonely was that vocal I mean that sort of comes across generally in the games but what was Warburton? Was Warburton sort of barking stuff out from the touchline or was he quite quiet as well? No, he was barking stuff out. Um, the drinks break, he you like, obviously, drinks break sort of a coaching break. And I know he's complained about them a little bit. And last night he said he was frustrated because 
obviously that they had the injury of Rangel just before the drinks break and he was basically saying we should just done the drinks break then not waited a minute and then done it which obviously logically makes sense but in football things often don't work out that way um but yeah he was he was barking and normally in a game you wouldn't hear his instructions when there's fans around but you can you can hear them and it's like lots of managers lots of gesticulating and pointing um but it was really when he had the drinks break opportunity that you felt like he, the players were really taking it in because he sort of when Shadipo and um, Ote came on, then he brought them in really close and was giving them very specific instructions. Whereas the rest of the time, it just was like there was just you know fingers pointing everywhere, um, and you you can't really tell how much the players are taking it in, right? Like you know, it, it could be anything. Um, and did it seem? I mean, obviously we watched the game on the on our laptops or wherever. But did it seem to you, I know we're going to come on to the game in a minute and I know you've got to go, but did it seem that QPR players had a bit more about them last night, a bit more focus, a bit more willingness to, to get to that second ball and, 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 and generally that things looked better overall than they have done for maybe five of the last six games? I think in the second half, yes. And I'm sure, I know you guys are going to dig deeper into that. The start of the first half, I did think that there was a little bit, very start of the first half, there was a good bit of pressure as soon as the game kicked off from Ilias Chair, who's putting pressure on the Luton defence. And I thought, okay, we might, you know, we might get get somewhere with this because we were trying to exploit their weaknesses. They're, but they're a big back four. Um, so we then kind of tried to use Aussie Kakai once Rangel had gone off as a kind of creator down the right-hand side to then put balls in. But then we were up against a big back four with Ilias Chair, Amos, you know, not big guys trying to get onto the end, end of the ball. So I think we looked a lot better in the second half, but I think it was mainly just down to intensity than anything. I think, you know, they got a, a talking to at half time and they, they worked a bit harder. I think in the start of the first half, I thought, things were looking fairly good and then it just they lost that they lost that kind of edge to them which I think they started with in the first half and then like quite quickly you know five minutes in it just evaporated um look I asked a question sorry um what what was the body language and the wording like and the actual conversations had when we went down to get again another sloppy goal from the players was it was it a good reaction do you think or was it just here we go again because so many people on social media accuse the players of not being proactive in responding to things so I just want to know what what the reaction was you seeing I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is the same sort of players who are reacting so Dom Ball is a player who takes it very like hard when we concede he gets really pissed off and he shows that visibly um the other players it was more of just a classic like you would expect um when you go a goal down you know that sort of shrug and and disappointment um and I'm it's it's obviously a massive relief that we managed to get a goal and equalize because that just feeds into it when your when your confidence is so low and your body language, you know, shows that. I think the reason Lumley was obviously trying so hard to G them up is because even when they start the game, there isn't that same intensity and energy because they haven't got the crowd to feed off. Um, and everything just feels a bit flat. And when you're there, you kind of understand a bit more as to why that might be. Um, and I, I know that obviously other teams are doing much better than we are under these conditions and I managed to, to create something and, and get that energy and that motivation up. But it, 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 you just feel that flatness everywhere and I can just understand how that really kind of ekes its way into their body language as well and their performance levels because it's kind of, where, where are you getting that energy from? Thanks, Flo. <laughs> that was good. I'm conscious not to keep you too long because we we made you we, you've got a lot of work to do and we've kept you from it. That's really interesting. Now we're going to kind of rip apart the last uh, the past two games. Or do, Clive, did you, did you want to say something? No, he doesn't. Okay. Um, 
Cheers, Flo. Cheers, guys. Thanks. See you on the other side. <laughs> See you, Flo. Uh, right. Where should we start? We have not cast since there have been two games since. So Sheffield Wednesday, 3-0 defeat. And last night, of course, I feel like I have to come to Clive. I feel like contractually obliged to come to Clive. I feel like, Clive, you're going to say what a lot of people wish they could um, sum up in the fantastic way you often do. So take us through both of those. You don't want me to talk about Sheffield Wednesday, do you, please? Well, I think it's more about the context. Everyone knows what happens, don't they? But it was kind of the context of how they, I suppose, what an utter shambles it was and the reaction that yeah. that from last night. I guess, I mean, hopefully we bottomed out against Sheffield Wednesday because we've seen some bad performances in our time, obviously. And... Um, it was one of those where you start harking back and trying to think of when was the last time we were this bad and, you know, various six nils and five nils and, you know, defeats at Brentford. And I remember just randomly, I think we lost at home to Ipswich one midweek night in front of about 8,000 people when Mick Harford was manager. And he said in the press conference afterwards, I think it's on the four year plan actually that it was completely inept and not befitting of a professional football club. And that's kind of, how that Sheffield Wednesday performance felt. I mean, we all know we all know the difficulties the club's got in general anyway. We all know the difficulties of coming back and playing under lockdown. And then Hugo gets injured. You know, there, there's a lot going against us and there's a lot of context to it, but you, you can't play like that as we did against Sheffield Wednesday. And Warburton kind of goes out of his way sometimes to to back his team and support his players you know, talk about what a young team we've got and, uh, you know, try and defend them against criticism. He was very outspoken earlier in the lockdown after the Barnsley and Charlton defeats. Um, I think uh, he said it was derogatory and ignorant to suggest that the players didn't care, weren't trying, were perhaps phoning it in, were perhaps in a bit of self-preservation mode because they were thinking about their next move. So it was at least good that he came out after that and said it was indefensible because it was. You can't and you can't play like that. Sheffield Wednesday have won, I think, three league games since Boxing Day. They beat us 3-0 with most of their normal first-choice strikers either not playing or sitting on the bench. It could have been six. It could have been six by half-time the way. But you can't, you can't play like that. And so you're looking for a response last night. And I guess we got that. I mean, it was better, but it couldn't have been any worse. So, and Luton are a particularly poor team. They've lost more than anybody else in the league 23 times. Prior to Hull City's collapse last night, they'd conceded more than anybody else in the league, 79, now 80 goals. So they're a poor team. And given that they needed to win the game, I was surprised how much they just sat in in the second half and tried to, first of all, hang on to a 1-0 and then seemed to be trying to hang on for a 1-1, which doesn't actually do them a lot of good. So the opposition were particularly poor. Um, the opposition goalkeeper was like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, I think if Hugel had played or any kind of striker had played last night, we would have won the game. Um, in the end, it was a better performance and it was a draw. You knew we would have won with Ote? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just said any sort of striker, but... I take it back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be needless. Sorry, that's needlessly cruel. But no, I, you know, I think we've, I think we've seen enough of Ote on this lockdown now to to start making that call. I think, but you know, it was better. We would have won with if Hugel had played up front. We would have won. But you know, Luton are a particularly poor team, and although, but for a save in injury time, we would have won. But also, but for Joe Lumley's save at the end, we would have still lost that game. So. Yeah, I'm pleased it was better. I'm pleased we didn't lose. I'm pleased we stopped the rot. But I'm not, you know, the bunting's on hold. I'm afraid. The trouble, the trouble is with the Wednesday game. I mean, for the manager to defend the players is, is entirely up to him. But it was ridiculous to defend them because they didn't deserve. But he, but he didn't. He didn't after Wednesday. But that's what I'm saying. To be fair to oh, him, yeah. he actually yeah. didn't. No, but that's what. Anyway, sorry to to go on to that. It would have been ridiculous. You're quite right, and it would have also made him look 
like he was taking the fans for fools. But I think we're kind of saying the same thing game after game, aren't we, with the, the management and everyone else. Last night was the response to, to the Sheffield Wednesday game, but it wasn't a very good one because the first half, first 45 minutes was absolute dire. There was, it was like two, two old men fighting over a head and shoulder shampoo. It was just ridiculously inaccurate. I mean, if, if it was wrong, and it, it, you just kind of look at the team and you think, come on, someone just pick this team by the, 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 the neck and, and run with it, and, 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 which I think Cameron's, and to be fair, Ball have been trying to do for weeks. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of response, and that worries me. Um, and I fear for the youngsters as well, because it's pretty obvious that Samuel, Eze, and Manning will be gone in the summer. There's, there's no two, two questions about that. And we're going to be rebuilding again. But I mean, I was pleased with Samuel's um, attitude in the second half last night. He was like a proper old fashioned winger. And I love the fact that he doesn't want the fullback to be his mate, and he's happy to smash him all over the place, which is what you need in the winger. Um, I felt that was better. I thought Paul took the, the goal really well. but I'm just so worried about the way we defend. I mean, the Sheffield Wednesday defending is, it, to call it schoolboy would be really, really slandering schoolboys. It was atrocious. And, and I know that Warburton before has said he doesn't like people asking him, of course, like when Nick London before he was at oh, players. But what do you guys say? Do you think that, is it just me? But I find our set players absolutely appalling. And I'll be fair along to the, the defensive coach as well as the goalkeeping coach, Clive. So, funnily enough, uh, after she's left the, the call, Flo has just uh, sent me a WhatsApp saying, oh, I forgot to say, I hope she doesn't mind me reading this out, hey ho, forgot to say, in person you see how shambolic the back line is, and I've said in what way. She said, at any point when they become a flat back four, if they're defending a free kick, it's just not straight. The, the line is not straight at all. The opportunity for a striker to get in behind is far too easy. You can see the mess on the stream when you watch it, but just seeing it, face-to-face shows how all over the place it is. We conceded off another corner last night um, and got a free kick given against us, one of those that you kind of always get because he kind of shepherded Lumley out of the way. But the more I watched it, the more I thought Lumley had made what they call in rugby league a bad defensive read and had gone to the near post only to find that the corner had gone the other way. So we were perhaps lucky to get away with that. I've, I've spoken before about our, our setup from corners and Warburton can say what he likes about it. It's a shambles. Um, just just not good enough. Uh, on, a, on a brighter note, not to, you know, not to terrible pun, but the best thing that happened to us last night was brighter say Samuel got past Ruddock in midfield, I think, after about 55 minutes. And Ruddock did one of those deliberate sort of two hands round him, deliberate foul, give the free kick away, take the yellow card. And Bright really objected to it. At one stage, I thought he was actually going to deck him and get sent off. I was like, oh, here we go. Mm. But he managed to hold himself back. And then after that, he seemed really sort of uptight and angry and up for the game. And he started toasting James Bree there, full back. You know, the goal came from him skinning the Bree down the sideline, taking Carter Vickers to the byline and then cutting a great ball back. And I just thought, you know, this is great. Angry Bright. This is the Bright that we saw before lockdown that everyone was talking about. And maybe he's better than Eze and maybe he's going to go here and West Brom want him. And I was really pleased to see that for half an hour last night. And he was probably our best player and we got a point because of it. But then at the same time, you just think, where has that been? Why has he not been doing that for the last... What is it? What was last night? Game seven and night. Why? Where's that? Where's that been in the six games? Every time, on the rare occasions in this lockdown, we have done something good. It's kind of made me angry all over again because I'm like, well, why aren't you doing that? Like Eze played much more like it in the second half last night. Forty yards further up the pitch in a dangerous area where he can hurt teams. Why has he been fannying about on the halfway line for the last six games before this? I just, I find, I'd love to know because. Everyone's so media trained now. You never get an honest answer in interviews, do you? You get the PR interview or the protecting the players interview. I'd love to know at some point, you know, off the record or once people have lost their jobs and moved on or whatever, I'd love to hear the sort of inside story of the QPR lockdown because the performances <laughs> and the some of the stuff that's gone on I just find really strange watching that Sheffield Wednesday game on Saturday. I sat and watched it with Neil and we were just saying, wow, this some of this stuff is so random. What is what is going on? I love the inside story of of lockdown, but you like you never get it, do you? The difference I think the, between sorry. No, I was gonna say the thing that Sheffield Wednesday annoyed me more than anything is we couldn't find a pass for 
to love money or a bribe. It was, and that's, I mean, the manager's right, but you can't defend that. But what the hell's going on in a player's mind when we can't play, find a player from three yards, four yards, and then just constantly hoofing it down and then attack after attack? If Wednesday were up for the game, they would have absolutely mulled us. Why, what, what's the mindset to get there like, you know? Well, the difference between the, the, the levels of Osei Samuel and Eze before and after lockdown are huge. They've both been very disappointing. And I, 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 we, I, we can't really speculate what the reason is for that, but maybe I'll give it a go. But <laughs> they're also the two players that are rumoured to be off. So whether there is a connection, subconscious or otherwise, between those two factors, I don't know. They could, I suppose, say that there's not a decent striker to get on the end of, of whatever they're creating, but they're not creating enough because all the stats in all the games are showing that up until last night because I, I like everyone else, I have a look at those stats that come up immediately after on the stream. Last night, it was kind of approaching more kind of in line with what other teams are creating. But before that, the games were barely creating anything. The two, the two damning statistics, I'll let Chris Charles go after me, sorry. The, 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 the two damning statistics were prior to last night, we'd had, I think, 15 shots on goal since we came back. And five of those were against Middlesbrough. So like, <laughs> you know, ten shots on target in the best part of half a dozen games. That's that's mad. We'd obviously scored two goals, both of them Hugel, but the most damage to at half time at Chef Wednesday. I don't know how accurate those football league statistics are that they put up, but half time at Sheffield Wednesday, we'd won twenty percent of the tackles that we'd gone in for. So four out of five times that we'd tried to tackle a Sheffield Wednesday player they'd come out with the ball. I mean, by the end of the game that I'd managed to creep up to fifty four percent, but that's still Every other time you put a tackle in, you're losing the ball. I mean, just I mean that summed up the Chef Wednesday game for me. Sorry, I'll shut up now. Chris, you should talk really. Yeah, yeah I just haven't had, a, I haven't had a chance to get a word in interest, but um, um, which may be a good thing. But yeah, Sheffield Wednesday, I, I, it looked to me like that was the team who realised there was nothing to play for now and had, had basically given up. Um, and had been given an easy ride by Warburton, as has been mentioned, every time he's defended them. And I can, I can, I can see it's sort of in some ways it's good management tactics to take the heat off your player to sort of absorb all that criticism yourself and to you know to highlight the positives. But everyone, and I think even Warburton himself knew that he couldn't get away with that after the Wednesday display. And maybe that, and, and he did say um, basically things are going to change off that. There's going to be a re- reaction. And I think particularly that second half, that's we did get one. Go back to the original point. I've said this before, but I, I think what happened is a few teams have started the, you know, hit the ground running into lockdown. We've just been fast asleep, caught cold. Hugh Gill, I mean, people were saying he wasn't putting a shift in. As, as I said before, I, I basically just don't think he was fit. I don't think half of them were fit. They were treating it like a training game. And, uh, you know, as going into it, we were second in the form table two games later and, and with a chance of making the playoffs two games later and it, it all gone. And I yeah. think by the time they got themselves fit, we weren't playing for anything. Although, I mean, I totally agree with you. If I, if I can make you feel slightly better, the chances, the form that everyone else has shown post-lockdown means that the even if we'd have come out all guns blazing, the chances of us reaching the playoffs have probably, in retrospect, been uh, a bit remote. I was looking at, like, the form table and stuff today. Pretty much we would have had to have won almost every one of the games to kind of have stood a chance to be in there. I but, don't think so, because we could have... I think we could have got before... There was nine games left, so we could have got 77 points. Um, obviously, we're not going to win every single game. But it's looking now like we, you could probably creep in with, like, 72, maybe, um, maybe even 70, depending well, on how, how the results Out of the f- top seven teams in their last five games, so that's 35 games, if I'm well, in their last five games, there's been four defeats amongst the first top seven teams. No one's, no one's lost anything. No one's lost anything, and they've barely drawn either. Like the form of the teams above us has been has been uh, exceptional. I, I, I agree with you. That isn't an excuse to not perform, not do well uh, after lockdown. Um, no, but that's if, it's if, but, but some probabilities. If we had won those first two games, which we really should have done, um, 
then that that gets the, the, the you know the momentum's there. Yeah. Got something to play for. But I just think it's this lackadaisical thing that's just creeping through, and we sort of win the one game, which all pretty much guarantees we're safe. And then it's you slump back again. And Wigan was pretty poor. That's been the last four seasons under however many managers with however many different players. It's well, been it's the same story every single season. What's that? Well, as I say, is this endemic within the club? And is there? I mean, the point that Flo made that you couldn't really hear any any QPR players or management or directors or anybody else shouting, whereas you could hear Luton and obviously you could hear Wickham the other night. Are we? guilty of not being vocal enough of being too timid and not getting stuck in I think we probably are I don't I don't think it's that Chris I mean <clears throat> I hear what you're saying and maybe there's some evidence of that in some ways but I think the players care I think the management are doing the best but whatever happens once we cross the, the, the and go on to field of play it just becomes the defence becomes a laughing stock we're not creating enough chances I mean as Clive said the other week you know the goalkeeper was, was furlonged or whatever he gave fur, furloughed or whatever and it just seems, and Pew wasn't retained because we would have to pay more money, and then we had to play Cameron because we had no one else. Therefore, he got a contract Sorry, extension. The goalkeeper was furloughed. Have I missed this? Sorry, no, because... let me clarify that. In the first, in the first few games back after lockdown, Gavin Ward, our goalkeeping coach, was not here. Right. Um, I think I don't know the reason for that. I I guess that he was furloughed during the thing, and they didn't bring him back, or he didn't want to come back. Um, but he wasn't there. Um, and then as soon as I'd mentioned it on the podcast, I think Middlesbrough was the next game and he's back now and he was, he was back there last night. But for the first few weeks of lockdown, we didn't have a goalkeeping coach for whatever reason. Mm. And that kind of goes with the club then being the only voice that thought that, you know, the, the, the season was coming back too soon as well. I just think we'd be caught in the hop a wee bit. Um, and I just think that we, we, we need to be realistic and, and think, what, 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 how is this going to affect people? Going back to Wednesday, what happened to Masterson on Wednesday, I was really angry about to haul him off so early on for a young lad. Um, maybe there was reasons, I don't know. I just think that's not good for a young player to, to play 30 minutes and then get get hooked. I'm pleased he came on last night and put a really good shift in as well, but that seemed quite a strange decision to me. Well, I think I think the situation with that was the back three that we were playing clearly wasn't working. I mean, it didn't get any better after we'd moved to a four for making the change. But I guess once you've decided you want to come out of that back three into a back four, you're then faced with a choice of taking, um, well, I suppose you could take a midfielder off and move Cameron in there, which I might have done given how poorly Amos has been playing. Um, Or... You're not going to take Barbe off as your most senior centre back. So then you face with it. If you decide it's not going to be Amos and Warburton seems to really like Amos and not not my cup of tea, um, you then face with a choice of Kake or Masterson, and Kake can go to right back and Masterson can't. So I think that's that's why they did that. It, it was not really fair on him because you know nobody was playing well, but he was a long way from the worst, and it, he looked really distraught by it. But you know we we had to try and do something tactical. Like I can see why he went off. Um, obviously, it didn't make any difference. I mean, we, we were actually, we fell apart even more after that. So it didn't work. But I, I sort of saw the logic behind it while at the same time feeling sorry for the kid. I know, I think with um, uh, Finney to, touched on this earlier, but with sort of two players leaving, like practically as the season started, um, I know Grant Hall had a lot of problems out with injury and, and, and other stuff, but did seem to me like when he was playing, he could sort of organise the defence. Um, or you know, play was saying they weren't playing the line. He seemed like he seemed like he was a bit more vocal. The same, obviously, for the BFG. And I know he wasn't uh, Warburton's cup of tea. Um, but yeah, we defensively. I mean, we haven't been great all season, but so, since the lockdown, we've been really, really bad. Yeah, well, I liked Leisner for you know, obviously a limited player and, and slow as coastal erosion but you know he was nasty and you know good in the air and you know would talk and be angry you know I remember Millwall away when we needed to stand up and be counted I thought he was man of the match so you do lose something we're quite we, we seem quite a nice team to me Grant <laughs> Hall you know take him or leave it but I in the land of the ball what is it in the land of the ball the man with three hairs is king and in, in, in the QPR squad Grant Hall's quite a good defender um you know, compared to what's going around. Um, 
Lot, he would probably he would probably say, "Look what happened to Rangel last night." You know, mm. thirty-seven years old, out of contract, probably got one more one more year in, and looks like he's snapped his Achilles last night, which is basically his career over and no contract for next year. So Grant Grant Hall would probably say, "Well, you know, look at that. That's why um, that's why I'm not playing." Uh, is Leisner still under contract next season? Yeah, he's, he's on loan, but basically it's a weird thing. Like he's said, I'm not coming back. And the club have said he's not coming back, but technically it is a loan. Yeah. I seem to remember Joey Barton also saying he wasn't coming back. So, sorry, Clive. So his contract would include next season then, whenever that starts. Serious. Leisner. Leisner, yeah. Yeah, in theory, yeah. in theory, Leisner is contracted for next season, but it's just sort of taken as red and assumed that he's going back to Germany permanently. Yeah, because yeah, I saw that and I I automatically assumed it was up then. Oh, that, well, only at QPR, folks. Yeah, I mean, going back as well, quickly, sorry, guys, to like Eze and Bright. Uh, yeah, you've got to say, I mean, haven't been at the top of their game at, at all. And, you know, there was, there was flashes of it the other night. It was a lovely weighted ball from Eze. And I take quite but I don't know... Eze, whether he was playing that deep because he's been told to or, or whether that he's taken that upon himself and whether there are deals that have already been done and they're just like making sure they're not getting injured. You can't really tell on that. But Manning's another one who's not really been on fire the last few weeks. Um, I wonder if he's in the same situation. Manning, Manning's been shocking. Um, you know, I, he's one of my favourites, actually. I really like Manning. I've stuck up for him in the past when he hasn't been playing or whatever, but he has been appalling. Um and even last night, in the last minute, that chance that they had that Lumley saved came off for the second time in a couple of games. Manning getting penalised for a foul throw. I mean, it's just so... Yeah. It's amateur stuff, and it? it's two, 20 press-ups for a foul throw. And that nearly, you know, nearly cost us the game off that. Manning, Manning's been poor. There was an interest in the, the Finnish lad, Ante, who posts stats on Twitter a lot. Did an analysis of where of like Eze's positioning on the pitch before lockdown and after lockdown, and I think the conclusion was that actually, contrary to what it looks like, and it certainly looks like to me, he's not playing that deeper. It's just that we've got fewer people around him. It's like he used to be part of a front four, and now it's just him and Hugel or or him. Um, that is not what it looks like to me. It looks like he's just pissing around like Grealish does in areas where he's not going to hurt teams, but. Um, I don't think anyone can deny that Bright and Eze have been shadows of the players that were existed before lockdown. There's loads of reasons, you know, fitness, poor performance of the team in general. It's difficult to perform as a forward if the team around you is not playing well. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of reasons, but one of the potential reasons is they're going elsewhere and they don't want a nasty injury to prevent that. You know, it's it's one of many mm. potential reasons. But what what I find weird is that's not the let's be honest that's not our first foul flow this season. Is it? We've done loads. We've got away with absolutely loads of them, and we've been done for quite a few of them as well. And I can't remember a season where somebody. I know it's a stupid point, but that foul flow last night was embarrassing. I actually thought he threw it down the temper. I thought someone said to him, and the, the referee gave the throw deal away for some reason, and then he just threw the ball down. And went, ah, for fuck's sake, you can all go balance yourselves and walk off. But it wasn't. It was an actual throw. And I thought, well, wow, that's incredible. And I think the man in his tackling rate his passing rate pre-lockdown was up there with the best he's come back like Ireland's most angriest man who just seems to have lost faith in everything around him and it could be he doesn't want to get injured perhaps he he's trying to negotiate a contract they won't do there's some stuff going on behind the scenes it just doesn't seem right Clive uh, Chris well, and uh, yeah, like I say I'd love I'd love the inside story of QPR's lockdown because there's some weird stuff going on Manning, Manning one of many that's gone from looking like a really steady little player to just you know, almost amateur. I don't. I don't really know how to put it into words. He's just been so weirdly bad. Do you think the players are as committed as we would like to think they are? Well, Warbur- Warburton insists that they are, doesn't he? Um, last, I've said this before. The last two seasons, our club captains have voluntarily left the club when the club has wanted them to stay. And that just, Chris mentioned something before about, well, there's kind of this endemic culture in the club that somehow once we get to safety the last four seasons, that's it. 
And massive alarm bells ring in my head when the leaders of the teams, and no last year, Hall this year, I know there's lots of other reasons and additional circumstances, but when the leaders are pretty keen to get out of there, it, it, it just makes me wonder about really how, how passionate and committed they are. I don't think they have like an attitude problem on the pitch, if you see what I mean. I'm, I'm not accepting the last few games, but it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good, I guess, watching it as a, a supporter looking on. I mean, whether how much we wanted to keep Anura and Hall, I'm not sure, because I think they're on more money than we would ideally like to pay them. And although they say that we offered Hall and Anua new deals, I'm not, I'm not convinced they were sort of deals worth accepting. Um, I've spoken about how I don't really see where Grant Hall sees himself ending up. So I would, we must have had to make a fairly derogatory offer for him not to take it. I, I thought about this a lot of the weekend. I wondered whether, you know, we've kind of talked about how we want to be a stepping stone club for players. You know, you buy low, sell high, develop youngsters. And if you do well at QPR, you can, you can go on and, you know, be at a bigger club and get your big money move and be a star. But then does that set up this situation where once you have performed and you have got the interest and the deals in the offing, you can just sort of sack it off? I, you know, I wondered about that. I also wondered, does perhaps the team's just not that good and it takes such an enormous effort to get to 50, 52 points and make sure we're safe that once they get there, they're just spent. And the last, you know, the last 10 games are like, well, we've achieved that. We're all knackered. And we, you know, the last 10 games goes as it is. Um, I, d- I didn't really come to an answer in my own mind, but it, it is fairly soul destroying to be finishing the, the season like this. And you see people on Twitter and whatever, just writing the whole squad off. Everybody's shocking. Everybody needs to be released. We need to change 16 players in the summer. You know, you can't, you can't do that every summer. I thought we were lucky to get away with it last year and with a, very tight close season coming up and finances stretch. We're not going to be able to just rip the whole squad up and and change it again. I, I don't want it to feel like I don't understand the the situation the club's in with FFP and everything else that we've talked about loads, but it is quite soul-destroying the way these seasons just tail off like this and it looks like they don't give a shit. And by the, by the time you, the end of the season comes, you've forgotten all of the good stuff that happened in the first two-thirds or three-quarters of the season and players that you liked you now think weren't trying or were looking for moves or whatever. It's, it's strange, isn't it? I don't... So before we finish up, I do, I do want to ask you all about Warburton. Although I'm not clear whether he's Warburton or Warburton, but Nick London says the latter, so we'll go with that. The point asking me. Um, I can't even eat bread. Also, last night, every other game, he's been there in his shiny white trainers and the Asheville Aggregates tracksuit top. Last night, he came from the office, like a lot of us do for a Tuesday night game. He was dressed like he came from the office, Warburton. Uh, Warburton. So maybe, maybe that's the secret to it. Um, there has been a lot of discussion online about him, his position, whether he is the right man to take us forward. I think the last time we had this discussion was two weeks ago. It felt pretty unanimous that we did like kind of individually didn't have that view where any, any change from anyone. Not, not uh, for me. I, th- I, I think it's ridiculous to even be talking about it. Um, and p- part of the problem we've got is not only that we change managers as often as we do, but also that we change managers from one style and character to a completely different one makes it very hard to put together any kind of cohesive squad when you look at you know teams like Brentford or Swansea or you know clubs on our sort of level that we want to compete with when the manager departs a similar manager comes in and there's cohesion with how you build your squad we in 10 years have gone from Neil Warnock who is Neil Warnock, to Mark Hughes, who's completely different, to Harry Redknapp, who's completely different again to all of the previous two, to Chris Ramsey, who couldn't be more different to the previous three, (laughs) Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who is in experience and mannerisms and style quite similar to Chris Ramsey, except Chris Ramsey's the most attacking manager you'll ever have and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's the most defensive person you'll ever meet. We then come out of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and go to Ian Holloway, 
he was just a complete lunatic, like says what he likes, likes what he says, mouthing off. You don't know what's coming next. We go from him to Steve McLaren, who's a walking PR agency, you know, gets the England manager oh, and has his... Yeah. Gets, the England, <laughs> gets the England job and the first thing he does is have his teeth fixed. You know, it just, ne- you know, never says anything that he doesn't think will sound good on television. And then you, cu- you come out on McLaren to Warburton and it's just different styles. And ca- so, and it, we all know what would happen. If Warburton were to leave tomorrow, who would get the job? Uh, I, I, I think you're saying Ainsworth. I'm not certain that would happen, but... It would be. It would be such a clamour. It would be Ainsworth. And... You know, I love Ainsworth and I want him to manage QPR one day, but to go from Warburton, who's Warburton and Warburton style, to Ainsworth, I mean, we all watched, we, we've all watched Wickham in these last couple of weeks. It is hang em, flog em, you know, they take a wheeled cannon onto the pitch if it were Sorry, I, I meant, I think they would want Ainsworth to have the job. My, I'm not sure is why, I get the QPR connection, but is QPR a better job than the one he's got at the moment? As you've well, said many times before, is Gareth Ainsworth not just absolutely gagging and blatantly hanging on <laughs> as QPR manager in waiting? I mean, it's you know, it's 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 almost embarrassing at times. It's so, but you'd be going from you know an idealist like Warburton into somebody else, whether he plays that way at Wickham because that's what he's got to work with or not. I don't know, but his style is completely different. They kept putting graphics up in that playoff final the other night. Wickham are last in League One for passes completed and, you know, passes completed to teammates, passes completed in the opposition half, number one in the league for balls booted down the field. And it's great. It works for them. It's been a great story. But you would again be going from one manager with one style to a manager in a completely different style. And we can't just keep changing managers every year, even if we did change them to someone that thinks the same as the previous one. But to be bouncing around like we are, I don't see where it gets us. And like I say, just because we've ended the season in this way, I don't think you should forget the state we were in last summer, the amount of squad turnover we had to do, and the job that we all thought Warburton had done up to the lockdown, and including the lockdown, thought he handled it pretty well. Just these nine games have been fairly disastrous, but that isn't a reason to tear the whole thing up. Yeah. Well, well, go on. Sorry, Chris. I was waiting for Clive to finish, which has been about the last 20 minutes. Um, it's been a great so, podcast for Clive, this one. He has given it, it, it absolutely it's, everything. It's, it's, I'm not, I don't Someone's even want to come, like, like, come on the bloody podcast because I'm so, I'm so sick of the Twitter comments you get back. I just do you know don't what, need Clive, it in my life. Do you know what I now I'm here, way. I'm going for it. Do you know what, Clive? It's therapy, mate, and we're here to help. But you know what I did last week? I actually came off Twitter. I never thought I'd do it, but I did it. And mentally, it was the best move I've ever done, and I feel so much better. I haven't got a clue. Four hours of your life. I'm still off. I don't even know if I'm going to go back. I can't be asked. You know, I've got grown men trying to pick me up. And it, oh, I can't be asked with bollocks to it. Um, going Chris back has to been what, trying to talk, I think, for about the last 15 minutes. So you're just going, going back. Sorry, Chris, and I promise I'll let you come in. Um, going back to the management, I think if they are to sack the manager, then because Lee, Les, and Chris have hung their hat on Wolverton, there's going to be questions asked upstairs as well. Because if you keep sacking the manager, there will be people saying, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, I might be one of them saying, well, are we just throwing someone in front of the bus all the time? There's a, it would be a massive sacking because he will, it will have a domino effect because clearly. It's not the manager's fault time after time after time after time after time. There's something wrong. But Clive made a brilliant point. The, the, the styles are so different from every single manager. There's no philosophy there. There's no, there's no mindset. There's no, right, he can take over from here and they will do this, they will do that, they will continue. They're so different. And it's, it must be an absolute mind-blowing experience for the players because they get used to one person, someone else comes in, brushes a play, like McLaren to Holloway. I mean, that's a mind fuck within itself. So you're kind of thinking to yourself, the whole thing is not thought out properly. They're just throwing cards in the air, seeing who lands. Ainsworth, we will destroy Ainsworth. And I don't know if he'll come here to be destroyed, but he's got such love with the fans. The fans love him. We'll probably end up hating him after got, a while. Because... Sorry. sorry go. I've got a point to make on Ainsworth, but I'm going to let Chris yeah. talk. His, his, but sorry, but going back to Ainsworth the other day, sorry, Chris, <laughs> t- 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 that squad he's put together is pretty damn amazing. Free trans- Wheeler looked like frigging Pele 
during that game. I don't care what stats they They've got one of the lowest budgets in the football bloody league, never mind that division. And they've gone up to the championship. And whatever don't their tactics our, are... Don't ruin our R's ends with the Wickham Hang on, hang on, hang on okay. But whatever their st- tactics are, whatever the teams have got to beat them, and it's up to the other teams to beat them, not for them to change. Thank you. Oh, sorry, am I on? Oh, thanks, Finny. Um, <laughs> I don't know if there's. It any- was bloody Clive. I just had two minutes. I don't think there's anything else I can say. No, I was just going to say I've been banging that drum for years about the club um, having a style of play and then keeping that style of play and bringing the manager in to suit that rather than, as Clive said, all this like pick and mix and like you know Holloway because he's popular with the fans, McLaren because because uh, you know Fernandez you know thinks he's a big name. I think, you know, you've, I hate to say, you've got to look at the, what Brentford have done. And, and Brentford, you know, uh, last season promoted, didn't start this season great, but obviously, you know, it's looking like they've got every chance of going up. Um, but equally, I don't think it should come to that now because I don't think, you know, Warburton, there should be anywhere near sacking Warburton. He's had a, we've had a really good season, all things considered. We've had, it's been, it's been a joy to watch us play uh, sometimes we've been playing scintillating football sometimes this season and I just just, the disappointing thing is like I said before it looks like we weren't prepared for whatever reason for the restart and the noise is coming out the club from Warburton and the rest of them and who's you know uh, basically saying it had come too soon and that seemed to be quite evident in the first two performances but no I think yeah we should we should we should stick with Warburton I don't think it's going to do us any good and and, and I really think it's ridiculous the question that we should be asking um, we're in our Zen territory now. Um, I have Wickham Wanderers on mine. Who else has has Wickham on their our end? There's a sentence I never thought of here. <laughs> um, well, I know you started, Finney, and I sort of cut across you. So why don't you start on the 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 Wickham and, and Gareth Ainsworth and what a fantastic story. And I know we tried to have a chat with him, didn't we, for tonight? But I think he's celebrating for the next fortnight at least. <laughs> I think it is. I think it'd be for a while. I think Wickham is just, as we all said, um, the, the style of football they play might not be everyone's cup of tea, but bloody hell, the signings he's made, he's got the players motivated. People say he's not experienced well. He's the longest serving manager in, in that division and in the league, I think, as well. And he keeps doing it time after time after time. He gets results. Now, he has a, if he played to their strength and said, all right, we're going to go Brazilian and play this type of football, he'd get mullered and probably in the conference. And that's where they were heading before he took over. I think he's had a brilliant job. Whether he's right for QPR or not, I don't know. I don't want to keep second managers. I don't want to keep this revolving though. I'd like to think, and Warburton's been on the podcast, as we know, and he's been brilliant on the podcast. And he's a very honest man. People say, let's do what Brentford do. Well, he was the one, that, one of the ones that started it. He was there. So if anyone knows how Brentford are doing things, it should be him. But Ainsworth, I'm absolutely chuffed for him. Um, Certainly got the different David Wheeler that we had. Um, Clive, is Paul Smith injured? And also the other lad, I don't know, because I don't think either featured on the bench, which is a bit disappointing for that final. I think, I think when you look at how Wickham play, it's, it's difficult to see how a little lad like Paul Smith fits in there. And I think he scored once and made about 19 appearances on the bench in the two semi-finals and didn't even make the bench for the final Um but didn't look injured at the end. Doesn't doesn't particularly bode well. Wheeler, I thought, was never given a fair chance at QPR. I, I was, I still quite like Wheeler. I don't. I, I think he only made about seven starts for us, and a couple of those were at right back or right wing back. Never think he was really given a fair shot. And I guess if it, if it wasn't bad enough being overtaken by Brentford, we're now in danger of being overtaken by our feeder club. So it doesn't it doesn't get any better, does it? The other point I was going to make on on Ainsworth, whether he it's I, I feel very uncomfortable about our fans and us thinking it's our birthright that one day he will manage us. Is well, okay, yeah, it's it's true, I, and and I remember that. And uh, people at Wickham have told me he is just clearly desperate to manage QPR, but as if other clubs won't want him to manage them as soon as they have a vacancy now. Pretty much, you know, probably 20 out of the 24 championship clubs, if at the point they then don't have a manager and are looking for a manager, he's got he's going to start being on these shortlists. I mean, the job he has done, he's the longest serving manager, like Finney said, he's two promotions. It, I don't think it's automatic that we will ever see this guy. It would be nice if kind of the stars align and one day we do. Um, 
but I feel like it's kind of linking to the Warburton point. Um, we, we really need to, he's done, the Warburton has done a good job and we need to continue with the job that we've done. But it was so, it, I, I really enjoyed that game the other night. I enjoyed kind of seeing them do it, seeing him do it and kind of QPR Twitter turned into a bit of Wickham Twitter for the evening, which was quite nice to see. But can you imagine though, guys, if he comes down next season to Rangers and wins that game, high toxic and what the place will go absolutely bananas. It will. I, the, the thing I'm interested about, because Ainsworth will eventually get another job. And like you say, he'll probably be favourite for any championship job that comes up next season. But I'm interested, I'm interested to see whether that style of play is that because that's what he's got to work with at Wickham. And, you know, yeah. they've got the lowest budget in League One and he's put together a team and it plays in that, that way. Or whether that is how he thinks football should be played. That's how he wants to be as a manager because... Yeah, I can see, you know, Warburton being under pressure early next year. If Warburton leaves, Ainsworth will be favourite. Everyone will want Ainsworth or whatever. But if Ainsworth came here and played like that way and it didn't go well, people would very quickly get angry with that style of play and we'd be at risk of killing off another club legend. Which, um, So, yeah, the most, the most interesting thing for me, not only how Wickham do next year, but as and when he does move on, whether it's to us or to somewhere else, whether that is his style of play or whether he's just picking a horse for a course. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for QPR because um, even when we won under the likes of Hasselbank and McLaren, which granted wasn't that often, um, it it felt like you were there because you had to be there because you had a season ticket and that's what you should do on a Saturday or a Wednesday or whatever it was. It was like you turned up, you sat in your seat, you cheered the goal and then you went home again. Whereas this season, even in defeat, I mean, even if we've been drawing, it's been great to watch for the most part. I'm discounting the restart. I mean, you know, the the, the post post COVID, um, uh, pre COVID, sorry, era um, was great football to watch, and I think people have have got used to that now. Um, and I think, like you say, um, if you went to a manager, like if if that was really Ainsworth's true style, then as you say, I think people would be on the backs a lot quicker um, if we were losing and, and losing in a in, in a bad way, if you like. Yeah, look, I'll horribly contradict myself. If and when Warburton does leave, I'd, I'd want Ainsworth. I know, you know, it would be another complete change of style of play and we can't keep doing it. And I wouldn't sack Warburton, absolutely not. But I'd, I'd, I'd be hard pushed not to want Ainsworth to come here. Just, you know, if things aren't going well, he would come in and provide that lift and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, like I say, you can't keep bouncing from one style of play to another as a manager. I know those are two contradictory points. But before we wrap up, I'll just say two things. And that is that the players love him. They play for him. And by God, they enjoyed that the other night. And it's always nice to see Oxford lose at Wembley. It's a shame we couldn't do it to the bastards, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. And also, happy birthday, Mackenzie Blue. Okay, right. Uh, my mm-hmm. one is basically, I'm not going to go into the full FFP because that will take ages, but Villa and Bournemouth are both surely going to be in trouble when they, if and when they come down next season. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, obviously there's the, the Man City getting punished and uh, uh, not getting punished, uh, and we did like the contradictions there. So that's one thing. Maybe that's one thing we can pick on next time. Um, but Clive, I don't know if you briefly want to want to tell us how come Man City. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that as a dig. Um, how did Man City get away with it and we didn't? Um, I can't see FFP being a thing after all of this. I don't see how you punish clubs. Um, with the financial situation they're going to face. So forward, um, forward-looking, forward I don't see it being a thing. The historical breaches, yeah, in theory, Villa and Bournemouth, because like us, they breached, went up and came back. In theory, they'll be facing charges, but we've seen with Chef Wednesday and Derby, it takes 18 months from the moment of your breach for it to even come to any kind of a trial. So I wouldn't be banking on Villa getting dot points anytime soon. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's you're it. banking on that. Yeah, that's it for me then. Uh, David Fraser seems to have turned into a silhouette, so I don't. Uh, I've turned my camera off on account of other people being in the room. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, listen. We'll let David wrap up, but I'll tell you one thing. I can't wait for this bloody season's end. Thank you. Great place to finish. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Well, not long to only a week now left for the season. Um, so I think we're looking at uh, finish celebrate. I think we're looking at uh, doing another podcast after the Millwall game. So uh, next Tuesday, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with an end of season one before after that. And then the next season, by the sounds of it, could well be only a few weeks after that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we will be talking about three points when we chat next week. So thank you, guys. Thank you all for listening. This has been Open All Ours. UPR. UPR.